and welcome to this episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we're talking about how best to make your career choices align with the values you hold. And that is a really interesting conversation to have sort of both at the beginning of your career and continuously as you move through your career. Um, During this conversation, we're going to talk a bit about the different ways that the realization that these things aren't aligned might manifest. I'm really interested in this month's episode personally, but also because I think that it's really useful for people who are just starting out to realize that there are a range of options around this. For instance, you might think that work is just work and what you do from 9 to 5 doesn't have to be the most fulfilling part of your life, and that is totally valid. You might also think that if you have to work 40 hours or more a week, you better be getting fulfilled in every single area of your life, and that's also really valid. All of these are good options, and all of these are why we wanted to talk to experienced women in a variety of fields who have dealt with these problems and with these questions and have gotten their own answers. We wanted to make sure that we talk to people who had differing views on these ideas so that you don't have to feel like you're the only one who's ever felt some way or thought something. Without further ado, I'm going to let these really interesting, really compelling women introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Martha Flynn. I'm the Policy and Advocacy Advisor with Equal Measures 2030. And they're a cross-sector partnership who are working to promote gender equality by making sure that data and evidence is in the hands of um, women's rights activists. Uh, I have a really lovely role in the organisation where I um, manage a portfolio of grants that go to women's rights organisations using data to hold their governments accountable. Before working here, I worked with organisations like Human Rights Watch, uh, Mercy Corps and Girl Effect, um, generally in roles that focused on women's rights um, and often with a kind of discipline um, of advocacy, but also have worked in roles including uh, campaigns, partnerships, comms, um, and marketing. So a whole broad church. My name is Rachel Levitan, and I'm Vice President for International Programs with HIAS, which is a global refugee organization based in the U.S., but with programs in 14 different countries around the world. My name is Sophie Stevens. I work mainly in the international development side of global affairs sort of work. I've been doing that for just over 10 years, I've specialised mainly in security, justice and peace building since the kind of early years of my career, particularly working for consultancy organisations that support development actors to do that kind of work, then have moved into working particularly on women, peace and security, so women's participation and influence in peace building, peace processes, the security sector. I've done most of my work for the UK government as a, a consultant particularly Department for International Development and the Foreign Office. But I've also done work for other actors like the Danish government, just completed a review of their women, peace and security policy and and work worldwide. I've done some work for UN agencies. And I'll shortly be joining the UK Department for International Development as a conflict specialist. And I'll be moving to Nigeria in March. To begin our conversations, we started at the beginning. How do you figure out what values are relevant to your job search? What should you take into consideration? Sophie started us off. 
This is a really interesting question because I think in my experience, people take very different positions on this when it comes to what it means to pursue or live out your values at work and in your career. For some people, it means that there's certain types of organisations that they'll never work for. I think it can apply at the institutional level. So what sort of institution are you joining? Do you subscribe to what they do and how they do it? What are your kind of red lines? So, you know, I worked for a a big development consultancy once that they did a lot of work that I believed in. And for me, joining them was an opportunity to be part of programs that I felt could make a real difference in different parts of the world. But the leadership had flexible ethics in some cases Um, and it got to a point for me where that that just went too far and I thought I don't want myself and my professional reputation to be associated with a certain group of people's behavior that didn't necessarily represent the whole institution but that became kind of my red line other people may say they would never work for that institution so I think it depends on how you know strict you are with that kind of thing I think also you can think about it in terms of the topic that you're working on. So, you know, even in the international development field, there are areas of programming that are more politically controversial than others. But in practice, I think you can navigate around that depending on the exact initiative you're working on. And that's kind of how I've tended to approach it. But I have certain red lines on like a type of programming that I wouldn't want to engage with. But generally, I try to take opportunities to influence people for the better, you know. Um, But working in peace and security, I think you have to be more pragmatic because you're working with military actors, security actors. And so in the first place, you're probably somebody who is prepared to get stuck in, even if the people you're working with don't share all the same values as you because you think you can do something positive. Um, You might feel in a certain role that actually the setup of the project or the way that your role is, you cannot have the impact that, you would like to do, in which case those are times that I might choose to step back. I think red lines is an interesting way to think about it, but it can be very context specific. You know, in in Yemen, for example, we've been having a debate about whether the UK's engagement with the Saudi-led coalition means that any respectable development actor shouldn't be working with UK-funded work. Now, that's not the position that I would take. For me, it depends on the team what the objective is you know if there's funding going into peace building I'm happy (laughs) but for some people that's gone that's already past their red line so I think it's quite a personal thing depending on what you feel you can achieve in a given project you know what matters to you the most Um, and I think with people leading the stuff that you're doing is really important as well you know do you respect those people do you feel there is some, you know, level of kind of core shared values? I think if the people leading your organisation or your immediate team are have very different values, then that can be very challenging. Rachel's response was also really great. It's a, such a personal process. When I think about how I got involved in refugee work, it was partly because the refugee story is my own. My own family has, um, you know, some different layers of refugee and migration stories and it was always something that fascinated me so even though I didn't wind up working with refugees right away I somehow made my way there because of my own personal history and my real interest in it and it was a nice crossover between my own story and my interest in human rights issues so I think that um 
when people begin thinking about how to bring their own values into the work that they do, it's worth taking the time to reflect on their own personal stories, their backgrounds, what resonates for them, and then thinking how that might match up with their professional interests, whether it's in law or medicine or journalism or what have you. So sort of bringing your own personal story to some of the professional skills that you're interested in working on is, is one way of doing that. Martha also had some great thoughts about this. So I've always worked in the NGO sector, and I think that people assume when you're coming into it, you have to be this sort of ideal person with perfect values. Um, and if you don't have, you're not kind of a super altruistic, superwoman, super charitable, um, that you're not going to be the right fit. And I think it's really important to see where your values are reflected in what you're interested in. So um, obviously I care about uh, promoting women's rights but it's also what I find gets me up in the morning in terms of what I'm interested in I want to learn more I want to understand more about the field and and I think you know focusing only on your values is maybe a bit um might make might make it hard for you to understand exactly what you you want to do I'd focus much more on, on what you're interested in what you're passionate about and so I would say um you know look to what your interests are because that's really what's going to sustain you in your career. You know, if you're if you're interested rather than just doing it because you think it's the right thing to do, um, you're more likely to get a lot out of your job and, and, and stay in that role for a lot longer. I think one of the things that comes up the most when we're talking about thinking about how your values are going to intersect with your career choices is this idea that you have to potentially sacrifice having enough money or having the kind of lifestyle that you want to have in order to have something match with your values and in order to have those things coalesce. And I don't necessarily think that's true. And Martha made a really good point to that end. This is actually something I'm really passionate about and I talk to my friends about it, particularly my female friends who work in the charity sector, um, because maybe controversially, although, although I don't think it should be controversial, I don't think that there should be a massive clash or a massive trade-off between doing something um, that is values-led or, or working in a non-profit or whatever it is um, and earning a, a living wage because, you know, Obviously, it's different from the private sector and other sectors because the money that you're using comes from donors or it comes from governments. And therefore, the money should be used effectively to achieve the kind of change that, the, that it's meant to be used for. But that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be some kind of healthy balance between the way that the money is used and also staff being kind of more valued and having salaries that represent their skills. And I think from my experience in the charity sector anyway, I've, because of the fact that a lot of these, uh, a lot of entry-level and mid-level roles in the charity sector are held by women, the idea that these should be somehow lower paid can really contribute to inequalities in the sector and I think I try and get my friends to really challenge this idea that just because you're working in a non-profit you should be kind of you know living uh, like day to day really struggling with your finances and that's definitely not the case and I think the fact that lots of people think that shows the kind of value that we put on those sorts of roles um, and so my advice would really be to, to young women, um, particularly, who are coming into this industry, that you, you know, know your value 
um, know that you're not going into the private sector, you're not going to make big bucks, you're not going to get bonuses, but make sure that you think that your salary is representative of the skills that you have and the talent that you have. And don't be afraid to ask for more if you think that you are worth more, because just because you're working in a nonprofit doesn't mean you should have some kind of terribly hard lifestyle. It's not a good way for an industry to, to thrive, really. You know, I had a conversation of a while back with a few friends. I think it was around the time there was a big crisis in the UK around the the public's perception of charities, particularly government-funded charities and how they were using their money, which is right, it should be scrutinised. But I remember saying to friends, you know, why should it be that charity workers have to have much lower salaries? And they said, well, you know, but nurses don't get paid a lot um, and named a couple of other professions that also tend to be heavily reliant on women. And, and I said, right, all of those people should be paid more too. You know, it's not... It's not an either or, and we're selling ourselves short if we act as if roles that typically fall into the hands of women should somehow be lesser valued and lesser paid. Um, and that really fundamentally will contribute significantly to the gender pay gap. So if you care about that, then I'd say, you know, fight for your own salary. Sophie also had some thoughts she shared on this. I guess as I've alluded to, I think it is possible to work for quite a diverse range of organisations and still pursue your values in the specific role that you take up it's definitely worth having uh, doing a bit of research on the potential organizations that are prominent in your area of work and what people who work for them or have worked for them think about the values of that organization Um, when I started my career I joined an organization that um I didn't know much about in truth you know I was quite young I was early on in my career and I was kind of ignorant to some of the reputational dynamics or or what have you and I think as time went on I realized that some people felt that organization you know had some really problematic behaviors or it didn't live out its values or it was really you know doing things that it really shouldn't do as an organization set up to try and do good but I wasn't aware of that earlier on so I think I would have counseled myself looking back to kind of try and chat to somebody who had worked there who I felt was a bit similar to me because obviously you might get a biased view depending on who you talk to who will just say oh this organization's great Um, but if you can find someone who's kind of like-minded as much as you can you know judge that from someone you may not know that well that's a good way to get a feeling for what that organization stands for um yeah, and whether you feel within that organisation, even if you don't sign up to everything that they believe and do, you can make a difference and that the pressures you'll face won't be uh, too compromising. Um, I think that's another thing to think about. Um, I've worked in, in the private sector quite a lot in, in development and I think some organisations are much more commercially minded than others. So that's something else to kind of be aware of. You know, To what extent is business growth the main priority above delivering quality work you know that's always an important question Um, I think talking to people in there or who know the sector is always really really valuable people who've been around a while and can give you a bit of advice Rachel had a lot of wisdom to share on this that's a really tough question and it depends on how much money you have coming with you from family or savings because one has to have a certain level of financial privilege to make choices to work in a long internship or in a job that doesn't pay very well. But I think that in the beginning of one's career, even with some debt from undergraduate or graduate school, it makes sense to begin exploring 
an area of work that really draws you, that reflects your values, regardless of how much income you earn. Because if you're able to talk with people who are on that path that, that you're interested in, you'll see that they put time in in some places that didn't pay very much when they first got going. And that's totally fine. Um, and I think it's worth it if you want to find that balance between working in a job that reflects your values and making enough money to survive. And in some ways, um, for a job like my own that involves international human rights issues, one way of managing that is to go overseas where, you know, your costs are lower, where you can probably um, accrue some savings and you can build up a resume uh, working internationally, which is always viewed as the first step toward working in an area of international humanitarian or other forms of work on a global level. So maybe you've started working and maybe you're in your first or your second or your third job or maybe you're even mid-career and suddenly you realize actually when you thought that your nine to five could just be whatever and that you would be fulfilled outside of work, maybe that wasn't as true as you thought it was back then. If you realize that what you do is not fulfilling and that that doesn't work for you, what do you do then? Sophie started us off. That can be really tricky because it's quite demoralizing, I think, to find yourself in that situation. In terms of whether something's fulfilling or not, it probably depends on what value that work might have to you in future. I mean, this not necessarily just to do with values, but I was in quite a few project management type roles in the early stage of my career. Sometimes I found that really frustrating because I'm quite an academic person and I felt demoralized sometimes, you know, churning out budgets and contracts and thinking, you know, is this what I dreamt of doing in my life? Um, but in that case, I think sometimes it's good to step back and say, okay, this is not exactly what I want to do forever, but could it give me skills or experience that I can use to do something I'm more passionate about? in future. Um, I later realized in that case that project management skills were really valued in the workplace in general. And so when I moved into a more intellectually stimulating role and I was doing more like research or evaluations or working on policy, the fact that I knew how budgets worked, I could design a work plan, like those skills were really valued by my future employer. And I think made me more effective team member. So that was a time that I wasn't fulfilled but if you keep the long game in mind, you might decide to stick it out a bit longer because you're actually developing some skills that could keep you in good stead. I think your reputation is really valuable as well. And when you prove yourself to be a reliable colleague, a good team player, someone people like to work with, you know, someone who's pleasant to work with and who is willing to support their colleagues, I think those kind of qualities do stand out to people and that can stand you in good stead so I think that's another valuable thing you can get from those roles that you feel stuck in is that you can build relationships with people that you really respect and you know find opportunities to get to know them to work directly with them to kind of show them that you have more to offer perhaps than the role that you're stuck in and it's it's a long-term investment it doesn't always reap results immediately but it does I think help to build your credibility with people that you respect. So I think it's good to identify those team members or partners or whatever that you think, yes, these are the kind of people that I'd like to work with long-term. And how do you kind of build your connections with them? 
Martha had some great ideas that she shared with us around this issue. It's a tricky one. I think a lot of people come into the industry that I work in anyway, and um, are surprised that there's maybe more trade-offs than you'd like to think exist. Um, it's, you know, it's not, it's an imperfect industry as, as all industries are. Um, you know, a good example uh, I've seen people be shocked by is kind of where uh, charities are able to get their money from. Um, I know a lot of people are uncomfortable with the kinds of donors that support charities and, and I, I totally get that. It, it's really tricky when you're in a world where there's, you know, huge inequalities, massive crises in, in loads of different areas Um huge amounts of need and and you know lots of big developmental institutions are going god we really need money to to face these these issues so that means that they might often take funding from donors that would surprise the average person that's an institutional and a strategic decision though and i think i've um reached a point where my attitude towards it is that i have to work out what i'm comfortable with as an individual so um if you find you know day to day that what you're doing in your job um is opposed to what you value it means that you're not feeling fulfilled it means that you yeah you feel unhappy in, in what you're doing that's really important you know you do it 40 hours a week plus overtime so you need to make sure that what you're going into day to day is something that you're happy with um, and I think w what I found really helpful in my career is to think about where my red lines are what the things are that I'm willing to concede on and what the things are that I'm not that can lead to some really tricky decisions <laughs> in your career um, and it might be that those red lines change over the course of, of your career you might become more of a pragmatist or you might become more principled you know you can't know where it's going to go but either way I think the fundamental bottom line is is feeling satisfied and and feeling happy with what you're doing and feeling confident enough to stick to your guns on the stuff that matters to you. Rachel also gave us some potential solutions here. If you're starting out your career or if you're partway through your career and feeling like you're not getting what you want out of it, confront that and take a risk and you will probably land on your feet. Even if it, you know, takes you on a windy road, you will land on your feet if you have the strength to take a risk and identify the things that you really believe in and work your way in that direction. Um, if you are in a place where you can even begin to think about trying to make sure that your values align with your work, then you have a certain degree of privilege. And so recognize that and acknowledge that you have a bit of a bubble and you can really hold on to that and give yourself the space that you need to step out and particularly to move out of a job that you just don't feel good about and get to a place where you are working your values. That's a really great way to think about it. And I think it's like cultivating an attitude of gratitude, walking through life with that kind of gratitude for, for things that like we often take for granted or expect to receive. I think yeah. that's so crucial. Yeah, I love it. I need a t-shirt. <laughs> and then you have to think one step further. What if it's not just that I've changed my mind about whether I need to be fulfilled professionally? What if it's that what I'm doing is actively opposed to what I value? 
And this can manifest in a lot of ways, and it's not necessarily true that when you started out, your job was actively opposed to your values. This can be because of an institutional realignment of some sort. This can be because a change in political climate means that maybe the the Overton window has been dragged in one direction or the other, and you no longer feel comfortable with something that wasn't even in question when you started your job. There are a lot of reasons you might end up in a position that means actively supporting something that's opposed to what you believe. So we asked the women we interviewed, what do I do then? Rachel had a great personal experience with someone who was in this situation. That's a tough position to be in. Um, But I actually just got a call from a woman who is exactly in that position. She was working uh, for many years in a government agency that now has taken a turn in a direction that she feels very uncomfortable with. And she's decided that she's going to take that break. And so what she did was take the very brave step of leaving it behind and beginning the process of figuring out how to take those years of experience that she has in a particular thematic area and flip over to the non-governmental side and engage the nonprofit organizations, the think tanks, the advocacy groups that are involved in that area and bring her technical expertise, which is deep, um, and her understanding of how government works in that area, which is extremely important for advocacy groups, and sort of say, here I am, what can I do? Uh, How can I help? How can I be part of the fight against this particular government agency that's gone, in her opinion, in the wrong direction. So it's really like starting fresh, but recognizing that you have a lot to bring to the table. So that's that might be one way of thinking about it. You may feel bad about the direction that your organization or your company has gone in. Think about how you can take that and bring that to a company or, you know, a sector that really would value the experience that you bring to the table and be impressed that you've confronted and addressed your own concerns about the environment that you currently work in and are saying, hey, I want to I contribute. Sophie had great ideas here as well. I think with values, it's a bit more complicated. It probably just depends how far you feel those values are really drifting away from your own, in which case, yeah, you might just need to get out whatever it takes to somewhere else where you can just take stock of how you move forward. Martha gave us some great food for thought. I guess it depends on whether the context in which you're operating can change, right? So if you're not feeling fulfilled in your role, I like to think that hopefully lots of managers and and, um, directors in in different organizations are willing to hear that and willing to hear why it might be. I think if you find yourself opposed to the fundamentals of the organization that you're working in, the, the values that they portray in their work, the decisions that they make strategically, then then that can't change. And I think you should have the confidence in, in to, you know, maybe think about moving on from an organization like that if it means that you're sacrificing a lot of your time doing something that you're not comfortable with. So it's all well and good to have someone talk to you about their advice for when you're in an unfulfilling role. But I wanted to know, and yeah, me personally, I wanted to know if these women had ever worked in a role that was unfulfilling. Had they ever personally been in a position to think, wow, I just can't go to work tomorrow because this is so completely not what I want to be doing with my life. And I asked how they handled it. Martha started us off. 
I have definitely had roles where I felt not necessarily unfulfilled, but like I hadn't ended up exactly where I wanted to be, doing exactly what I wanted to do. Anyone who works in the charity sector will know restructures in organizations are very common and and sometimes they're totally necessary because you need to make organizations more efficient but that can also mean that sometimes your role changes in the in in the charity sector and I had a point earlier in my career where a restructure meant that my role became something that I wasn't necessarily that I guess wasn't in my long-term career plan it wasn't it didn't fit into where I thought I was wanting to go but I also didn't really know where I wanted to go so so I had to had to take a real hard look at myself and and what I was doing day to day and say is this is this what I want to wake up and do every morning and I realized the answer was no but you know what is it that I want to do and one of the most effective things I've found for dealing with that crisis of not knowing exactly what to do next is to try and work out what all of the different opportunities are that are out there I find bizarrely trawling through job advertisements really helpful um looking at like lists of other tasks that I could be doing and thinking would I rather do that than what I'm currently doing um and I found that that really helped me get to a point where I was really sure about what I wanted to do which is advocacy as I said earlier so I've kind of managed to pivot my way back into into that line of work but it did it it took a lot of kind of self-reflection and and really understanding what other kinds of roles could look like and involve for me to get there and yeah it won't always work out first time I think people often jump from roles where they don't feel fulfilled into something else just because they want to leave it but I think my sense is that lots of people eventually end up in the positions that they want to be in doing the work that they want to do it just might take a bit of time. Sophie's story definitely resonates with all of us. I sort of experienced a bit of that in one of my first jobs when I realized the reputation some of the leaders in that organization had and the way they behaved and I thought oh in that instance, I just decided I don't want people to associate me with this. So I just need to move on as soon as possible to another role. And I got offered a job in a big four um, consultancy company, which was not my dream, to be honest, because to me, it is important that I work with people who have a shared sense of purpose and what they want to achieve. And I think there was such a mix of people in that big company that I didn't really feel that sense of like everybody working towards a shared good or you know shared mission but it was an opportunity for me to kind of get out of a more toxic place where I felt the values really were too far too contrasting or you know really not being lived out at all so I just took any chance to kind of take a step away from that and then reevaluate, you know how I could move from there to more I suppose where I am now where I'm in a place that I feel confident I can represent you know and represent what they stand for and I feel that they have integrity I'm sure a lot of people can also relate to Rachel's experience I had a position that on paper I loved but I knew that I didn't want to keep going with it I was working at a civil rights law firm and doing litigation and I loved the the underlying principles and values of the work but I really didn't like litigation. I felt really constrained by that. And I couldn't see myself as a partner in the firm. It just wasn't where I saw my future. And so I did the 
basics, which was, you know, I looked around for work, I, I brushed up my resume, I got out there and thought about what did I love about the pieces of work that I had and how could I apply that in a more creative way. And nothing really stuck. And so I did something kind of radical. My husband is a journalist and we just said, you know what, let's just leave. I was in New York at the time. Let's just leave New York and we'll go for a year and we'll go somewhere interesting and we'll see what happens. So we picked up, we did not have kids at the time and we moved to Istanbul, Turkey. And when I got there, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just be able to find work easily with some nonprofit. Well, easier said than done. I could not find a position. I was not a fluent Turkish speaker. And I think people were a little bit skeptical or suspicious. And they thought, who is this American woman who just landed here? And, you know, why should we hire her? Um, so instead, what developed was that I, we happened to move in next door to a small center for migrants that was providing um, some financial assistance and medical care. And a group of us began volunteering with them as lawyers to provide some basic legal advice to them about the UN process that they had to go through. It was an asylum process run by the UN. And luckily that process was being run in English. And I was able to take that thirst for doing something really creative with the law and pick up my old interest in refugee issues and start up a, a clinic to provide legal assistance to refugees in Turkey. And I was able to build on some of that networking that I did when I first got there to find an organizational home for the project because in order to get funding for it, we needed to be um, adopted by a local nonprofit organization. And we got their buy-in and we got our first funding within the first year. And that organization has now spun off on its own and it's still providing legal aid to really the millions of refugees that are now in Turkey today. So it was a chance to take the experience that I had where I knew that I wasn't really fulfilled because there wasn't the creative energy that I was hoping for move over to an entirely different environment and then figure out slowly how to take that creative energy, take the themes of refugees, migration, human rights, and legal assistance and kind of package that all together. So it was a risk, but it was a risk that really paid off for me and helped me reframe the future of my career. I think people often talk about finding fulfillment in fields outside of your professional one. So maybe working towards your values through volunteering or maybe through a religious organization or a social organization and really just centering that thing outside of your nine to five job because maybe you just don't have the energy for, for advocacy or for organizing or for nonprofit work in general. We asked our interviewees what their thoughts were on finding this kind of fulfillment outside of work. Sophie gave us some excellent things to think about here. I think that's a really good question because like we've alluded to, especially early on in your career, it's, you know, you rarely get to work exactly where you want to be in terms of values and things you're passionate about and you believe in. Although, as I said, I think you can always gain something from those experiences. 
I do volunteering in my own time. I think especially I would say to those listeners, because I've got young children now, you know, you've got time, more time than you realize. <laughs> Don't just work all the time because when if you have a family, it's, it's difficult to be as active in your community, you know. But I think when you're not in that phase or, you know, even if you are, there's still things you can do. But I think especially early in your career, you've got more time to get out there and do things, whether it's, you know, activism, becoming a trustee or kind of doing volunteering for local charities. It can be also exciting to get involved with charities or initiatives that are aligned with your work somehow. Um, you know, my field, there's always refugee initiatives out there where you can also, I think, gain, you know, enrich yourself in understanding people's life experiences who've been refugees or, you know, who've gone through challenges. And I think all of that is really beneficial, makes you a more rounded person, as well as obviously giving you, like you said, that fulfillment that even if you're not achieving that in your work right now, you are working towards your broader values in your whole life. And yeah, that's definitely really important for me. I think it can be really rewarding. And sometimes at work, in fact, even if you're working in a field where you're trying to make a difference or, you know, be driven by good change in the world, you're not always working with a super diverse cross-section of people. And so I think maintaining a broader circle or volunteering in your personal life can help you to remember why you want to work for social change in the first place or you know whatever it is that you're engaging in so yeah I would say definitely definitely that that is a great thing to do. Martha made a really excellent point that I really think is so important when we're talking about volunteering. The reality is that not everyone can work in the non-profit sector and not everyone should right like I think there is so much value to be gained from people looking at the skills that they have because of their the jobs that they do in other sectors and thinking about how that can be applied to a volunteering role. Nonprofits have have all of these needs and if you can find a way on top of your nine to five, which is not the easiest way to do it, to have a volunteering role that makes you feel fulfilled, then I, I, I think do it. And and I think my one word of caution, I guess, with that kind of approach is volunteers are hugely valuable. Some charities are completely dependent on them. And it's amazing that people give up so much of their time on top of their jobs. But I would always just try and make sure that, one, your volunteering role is giving what you have to a charity rather than trying to kind of carve something out for yourself. I, I mean that you shouldn't try and pivot and get new skills in the charity sector um, if you really have something valuable that they could already use like if you're a great finance person offer that because charities are very stretched and staff are often very overworked and the only instances I've seen where volunteering hasn't worked very well um, is in instances where volunteers haven't understood that and and seen that um they need to be a kind of addition rather than an additional burden uh, to an organization make sure that you are offering to do things that the charity needs so i worked with a charity who needed um a social media presence and you know having used social media probably more than some of the other people in the organization i offered to help do that so listen to them and their needs, I guess, rather than coming in there with, with your ideas about what you want to do, because really you should be led by the charity. Rachel gave us some excellent tips on this. If you feel that you really are unfulfilled in your day-to-day, -day, then 
the best thing to do is think about where you might want to direct your energy to work on something that is really meaningful. So that could be volunteering with a nonprofit that is local. It could be working with some kind of thematic issue that you really enjoy. It could mean taking two weeks off and volunteering somewhere in a location that reflects your values and then sort of balancing out the fact that the work that you do on the day-to-day is not that exciting but your side projects are super fulfilling and you may find that the work that you do on the side actually is a bridge to shifting your career because you'll be making connections you'll be building skills you'll be refining your understanding of where you want to be working and how you want to be doing it in what kind of context while you're volunteering. And I think getting that hands-on experience of what the day-to-day could look like in a career that is meaningful for you is a really critical step to take. Finally, we asked kind of a personal question. We asked these women what sacrifices or hard choices they made so that their career aligned better with their values. That's a really tough one because the whole point of the question is that you have sacrificed something. And I think most people do sacrifice, whether it is financial or whether it's being able to live in a place that they want to live or whether it's to have the kind of growth potential that they're interested in or whether it's uh it's some kind of like intangible benefit that they're losing out on because they've made the choice that actually no this value of mine contradicts with that choice or this value of mine is better served with another choice sophie had a great answer here i think probably for me it would be when i didn't feel like a sacrifice because i think i i feel very motivated by like i mentioned working with people who have a shared set of values. But when I left the, the big four company, you know, my dad <laughs> did say, oh, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> so I was working for this huge, prestigious company that had a great pension and private insurance. And I mean, I know to the American listeners, that's more standard. But in the UK, you know, most people don't get private health care with their employer. So, you know, it was all the kind of practical benefits that your parents, <laughs> if they're like mine, were concerned about and so I suppose in some sense I made a sacrifice in terms of salary in terms of like staff benefits in terms of job stability you know when I joined a much smaller company that was socially minded um, I sacrificed those things but ultimately I felt it was more important to me I was not I didn't see a future for myself long term in that company because I knew that if I was going to move forward I would be expected to deliver on more of the kind of corporate side that I just personally, like I don't criticize people doing that, but it just didn't motivate me personally um, because I am quite driven by what I believe in. So yeah, that was the sacrifice I made, but I don't regret it really because I've been able to do more of what I believe in and I find that immensely motivational as opposed to just kind of feel like I'm withering away somewhere where I have a good staff package, but ultimately can't get behind what I'm doing and now I'm joining the government I don't know if I'll experience other sacrifices I see that as an opportunity to really influence in a different way you know to be within the British government system that'll be exciting but I may sacrifice some of my own independence I recently joined a political party in the UK I won't be allowed to do any anything related to that so 
I'll have to see long term whether for me that becomes too much of a sacrifice. I don't know. Sometimes I think about getting involved in politics in future, so I'll just have to reevaluate that in the years to come. Martha had some great thoughts that she shared on sacrifices she's made in the past. I was talking earlier, yeah, about when I was part of a restructure that meant that I was ended up in a role that wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. And I made the decision at that point to take what I would tactically call a sidestep <laughs> into another role uh, in another organization that was maybe slightly more junior than what I was doing before. Wasn't a, wasn't a step up, essentially, because I knew that to get to where I wanted to be in my job, I uh, and to kind of yeah I think to to have a role that really represented my values more I needed to do that I knew at that time for instance that I really wanted to have a job where I felt closer to the impact that my organization was having I didn't feel really far removed I think that's important for some people and I knew that I wanted to be working somewhere that was supporting more grassroots work so feel less like I was just sitting in head office running campaigns than you know enabling grassroots actors to run their own campaigns and because I was so passionate about working in that way I made that decision and took a different role that wasn't necessarily like super strategic but actually in the long term has meant that I've been able to build up a skill set and a bank of experience that has taken me to the jobs that I now do where I'm massively fulfilled and massively happy with what I'm working on. Rachel had a really interesting perspective on this question that I found really valuable. I actually don't really feel that I've made tremendous sacrifice. I suppose on an objective level, I've given up income. I could be working at a law firm and making a partner's salary right now. And that would be significantly more than what I get paid now. But I don't think that's really a sacrifice because I feel as though every day that I'm working... And some of those days are really hard and exhausting and frustrating. But every day that I'm contributing to the work that I do, I feel like I'm working toward positive change. And it may sound like a cliche, but it's really priceless. I wouldn't want to live my life any other way for any amount of money. So to me, there hasn't emotionally been tremendous sacrifice. And I have felt really so satisfied and so happy that after this journey to get here, this is where I am. And, and I expect that it may change, you know, let's see where it goes from here. But, but until now, I do feel like I've taken steps in the direction that make me feel every day that my values align that with the work that I do. That's a really valuable perspective to be able to say, like, I don't feel like I've sacrificed that much. Like, I feel like it has not been, like, a, a martyrdom. Because I think a lot of the stories we get are those sort of, like, well, I had to give up everything else, but at least I've kept my sort of, like, my moral compass. Thank you all so much for joining us this month. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate having such a great listener base that's that's always turning in with questions and with thoughts. And we really do value those. And we share them amongst the team here. We all look at those. We all read them. So if you do have any thoughts, either in response to this episode or for upcoming episodes, we would love to hear those. I hope this episode was useful. I 
have to admit that it was driven a little bit by selfishness on on our part as a team. All of us are, are pretty early career and that can look like a lot of things but I know for myself and, and certainly for Rachel we talked about how important it is at this stage in your career to be having a conversation around what your bright lines are. So like what lines will you not cross or what is what is the sort of thing that you just absolutely do not want to do? Or what is the sort of thing that you absolutely have to be doing to go to bed every night and wake up energized and ready to go to work? And those are conversations that you're not necessarily encouraged to have either in undergraduate institutions or in graduate school or just by people who are, you know, counseling you professionally. But I do think those are questions that you have to ask yourself in order to build a kind of career that at 40 or 50 or 60, you're still going to love. And we all take jobs that aren't ideal. Trust me, I've been there. We all also take jobs that maybe we thought were going to be one thing and turn out to be completely different. And I think that by having these hard lines on either side, by having set your boundaries in advance, it's going to become a lot clearer when you need to make those career decisions and perhaps make professional moves. As we move forward, uh, next month is going to be an episode about diplomacy. We are hopefully going to be interviewing both diplomats and diplomatic spouses. Uh, These are questions that came from listener comments over the summer while we were on hiatus. And I really think it's a crucial dichotomy to look at both both what it's like to be a woman at an embassy because you're the ambassador or a diplomat there and what it's like to be the spouse of a diplomat and to be a woman at an embassy for that reason. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us. It raises us up in the rankings. It is one of the most helpful things you can do. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter, which is available on our website. If anyone has any thoughts, anyone may be interested in us interviewing, whether as part of um, an episode series or as a one-off, please let us know. You can follow our organization's Twitter at WomenInFP. And if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at Ellen Goulet, that's L-N-G-O-U-L-E-T, or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We're an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. We love the work we do and couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.